Good morning. How many of you are charged and ready to talk about the Good Samaritan? Well, one is. Yeah. So that's the, that's the title of the message. That's actually not my title. I didn't make it up, as you probably well know. That's actually a, a biblical title. How many of you ever read that book called The Bible? In the Bible, there's actually this story about the Good Samaritan, and that's what we're going to focus on today. There's something that this really ties to that's actually out in the lobby area today. I don't know if you walked around out there, but there are some maps. How many of you saw those maps on the walls as you walk out there? So those maps are for you. Those maps are for you, and in the middle of those maps are some pins, some sticky pins. And this is relevant to the message, and I'll even go back to the map a little bit when we close out on the message, is you want to take one of those pins and put a stick where you live. And there's a reason for this, and before I go into a lot of the meat of this message, I want to say this. I'm going to give you a personal confession. You know, I am really, really good, well, maybe not really, really good, but I'm pretty good at going out and reaching to people such as the drug addict, the alcoholic, the street person, and the people that, that don't live next to me. But I'm really, really bad at meeting with the people that live next to me. So I just want to ask, how many of you are like that? How many of you have a really difficult, maybe I'm the only one because no one raised their hand. You know, maybe I'm the only one, but it's always challenging for me to actually go and knock on the door next to me and meet my neighbor. I, like I said, I can go and meet people that I, you know, don't live around me, but I'm just not that good at meeting my neighbor. So those maps are really important for that as we're going to be starting our small groups next week, right? So the Good Samaritan ties into this. Before I get into the message of the Good Samaritan, let me go further and set a little more of a tone as well. How many of you know what a Samaritan is? I guess you probably read about Samaritans in the Bible. Did you know that genetically Samaritans actually are a group of people that still exist, and there's a few of them left on the earth? But this is a group of people. I want to share an article. I'll go through this article real quick with you because, you know, I'm trying to keep these messages down to four hours. Okay, so this, this is uh, from the um, Chicago Jewish News. How many of you know that we actually have this worldwide group of people called the Judeo-Christian group, right? And so there's this, this news article that's talking about the Samaritan and the DNA that's related to the Jews. Now, what I just said to you is a Samaritan being related to the Jews, the Jewish nation or the Jewish people, Hebrew people, right, is actually defiling to the Jewish people, especially during the time of Christ. Now, I want you to put this in your mind. Put this in your mind. There's this ruler in North Korea. You ever heard of him? Right? Little chipmunk, right? Now, I have to repent because I just called the guy a little chipmunk. God, forgive me. Yeah. It, it, how many of you would just love to find him on the side of the road and minister to him? Let me put it a little bit different. Some of you might be old enough to actually remember some of the, the experiences uh, that they had in World War II. Maybe you, maybe you aren't that old, but, but maybe you have uh, at least knowledge of that. What if Hitler himself were laying on the side of the road? Would you stop and render aid to him? 
I mean, I want you to kind of get the idea that these Samaritans were defiling. They were disgusting. They were not people that the Jewish people would hang out with, right? So this is important to get a hold of this idea because as we reach out to the world around us, which is what we, were, we are responsible to do, Jesus is using this picture when he's talking to the Pharisees about a Samaritan who, to the Pharisees, to that group of people, this would be a very defiling kind of person. Are you with me? Come on. We're going to go somewhere again. Amen? Come on. And so... There's this article that I was reading, and it talks about how the DNA, and there's a lot of debate over this idea of the, the connection between the two nations, especially if you're Jewish, you're not going to actually buy into this DNA stuff, because there's a, this particular study shows that they've been, they've been diluted like 40%, 47% by intermarrying and, and not actually Jewish. And then there's a Chinese one that actually I was reading about DNA testing of the, of the Samaritans, that actually the Chinese study says that they're actually closely or closer related. But the point of all of these articles and the point of this history is to help you understand that this is a group of people that were defiling to the Jews. Wow. So if you want to open up your Bibles, if you got one, or you can look up there, we're going to go to this passage in Luke, Luke 10, 25 through 29. Are you there yet? All right. It says this in Luke 10, 25 through 29. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, just stop there for a second. You could actually, I could actually say that, right? I could actually say that, believe that in my mind, and not really work it out in my life. Why did I start with saying that it's really difficult for me to go, on, go and knock on the door next to me? You see, I can believe it in my mind and not do it in my heart. Are you with me? Yeah. And so Jesus actually, in a way, you know how the Pharisees were always trying to, to trap Jesus, right? You, you kind of know that just of the story, right? Well, Jesus, in the way, is turning that around. Because he's trying to use something as we go through this passage that was actually disgusting to that group of people that they wouldn't touch that one. Are you with me? Come on. And he said to them, right? You answered correctly. Now, this is interesting because Jesus, when he was actually tested by the Pharisees when they tried to trap him, and I'll talk about this a little bit in the passage, they actually tried to trap Jesus by asking Jesus, what is the most important, what is the number one passage in all of the law? And so Jesus uses the perfect legal answer when he responds to them. And I'm going to get into that in a second. But let's, let's stop back up into the Old Testament a little bit. We've 
got a lawyer that gives a perfect answer to Jesus. And here's that passage in Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. In Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbors as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, this is from the beginning of time. God and his people have actually supposed to be practicing one thing and not necessarily doing what we're supposed to practice. You see, we can believe a thing in our mind, but it really is how we live our lives. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay, we got two with me. Okay, it's good. It's all good. It's all good. So as we go on in this idea, you know, religion is more interested in a liturgy than love. It's real quiet in here. You see, religion says, get away from me. You're unclean. You're going to defile me. Love says, come unto me, and I will give you life. Who said that? Well, at least a couple know that Jesus said that, right? Jesus said that, didn't he? And we look at, and we go on here, and we understand that when the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus, I kind of talked about this a little bit, when they tried to trap him with the law, Jesus responded with the perfect legal answer. What did he say? Matthew 22, through 22 34 through 40, it says this, Matthew 22, 34 through 40, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You should love your, the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Let me ask you a question. Who fulfilled the law? Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah, the King of Kings, right? The personage that they were waiting for to come fulfilled the law. Does that mean that the, the law has no purpose? I mean, when we read the Old Testament, it doesn't really mean that, does it? It means that he fulfilled it. He actually opened our eyes, our hearts, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he sent after he rose to the Father's right hand, and we waited for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit resides in us, and the Holy Spirit is speaking these very same words to us. So we have to not just hear them up here, but practice them down there in this place called our heart. You see, the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus. Jesus was really good at turning this around. Jesus also gave the Pharisees the perfect legal answer, didn't he? But then he shifted the topic. He shifted the topic that the perfect legal answer to where this focus or their focus should be. He shifted them. He's shifting them in the scriptures to understand that, yes, that's the perfect legal answer. But just because you know it in your mind, you could be a person that's not practicing it in your heart. 
There's not a literal outcome or display that I believe what I believe. You know, there's a lot of people in, in certain cultures that look at the way that some of our practices are, that we say that we are Christians, but there are some people that look at that through Middle Eastern thought and say you're not practicing what you preach and therefore you don't believe what you believe. How? Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now I feel really cruddy, right? Don't feel cruddy. It's interesting that I can live next to a person and really not knock on their door because I can reach out to a certain kind of person, but the person that's closest to me, I don't know. You could call it the fear of man. You could, you know, certainly there's some of that plays into that if you know what the fear of man really means. Whatever it is, sometimes we just resist doing the things that, geez, I don't have time. I don't have time. I just started a new job. I'm traveling all the time. I really don't have time to go next door and give them some cookies. Actually, our neighbor next door came over to our house and gave us some cookies. I don't know if they really know enough, but Jonathan, my son, knows more about them than I do. Jonathan's probably a better practicing Christian in that respect than I am. I'll say that much. Let's go on. We see that these Pharisees, these people actually found the, the, the Samaritans as defiling, as unclean, as someone that they would not even touch. But here's the story. Matthew 22, 41 through 46. Now while the Pharisees were gathering together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he the son of uh, he the son? You see, Jesus is actually trying to help them. We're not in the, quite in the story quite yet, but I want to continue to get you in this place where you're seeing what Jesus does. He's really good at this, at turning the trap back on them. And so Jesus has is, is already talked about this legal law position that is very true, very pure, very righteous, to love God with everything that you've got, to love your neighbor. But now he's shifting them to this reality of truth. I am the way, the life. I am the one. I am the Messiah. He didn't need to say it. He acted it out. He acted out who he was. So then we get into Luke, right? Luke 10, 30 through 37. Now we're going back to this Samaritan story. Now that you know Samaritans by the Jews and the legal people of that group of people found defiling. You know the, you know the, the story about the leper, right? So historically, lepers would walk around and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. Now Samaritans weren't actually the lepers, but they could have been, but they were people that were perceived to be unclean. So Jesus replies, Luke 10, 30 through 37, Jesus replies and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers 
And by the way, if you know anything about this road, this, this travel, it was through rocky, craggy, hidden places, which was really easy if you were a robber or somebody that was going to attack somebody, lots of places to hide. I don't know if you've ever been over in that area or know the, the, uh, the maps of it and that, but this was a place where it was easy to hide and attack somebody. So Jesus replies and said to them, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, likewise a Levite also. So we got the priest, now we got the Levite, right? When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. I don't want to get anywhere near that person because they're defiling. They're disgusting. I don't want to get any of that on me. <laughs> and so he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey, a Samaritan who was on a journey. Jesus just said a Samaritan. I don't know if I like this story. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, I want you to think about this. Let's flip it around a little bit. You know, because there's always two sides to the equation, right? So if I were a Samaritan and I was treated like a dog, would I actually stop for someone who treats me like a dog? Yeah, I wonder. You see, sometimes, sometimes we don't realize what I just said, what I just said. Let's put it in a modern kind of a concept. What if I'm in a job and my boss is constantly berating me? Would I do something for that boss? What if I were, you know, I don't know, in a circumstances where someone was treating me extremely poor, beating me down, cursing at me, causing me pain, causing my family pain. Maybe you were in the Korean War. Maybe, you know, if you were old enough, I don't think we have too many people here that are old enough, maybe you experienced or you know the stories about Nazi Germany and Hitler and what he did to people. Would you love the people that did that to you? There's beautiful examples in history. There's th this woman Corey Tim Boom, some of you have heard of her. There are beautiful examples of people who have been beaten down by others and they look and act just like Jesus does. You see, that's what he's calling us to. So let's go on with this story. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Wow, felt compassion. Are you with me? Do you feel compassionate right now? No, you're just hoping, Pastor Dan, I'm getting hungry. Would you get on with this message, right? So he felt compassion for him. And what does he do? And he, he, he came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast. He actually put him on the thing that was for him. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took him out to Denari and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Which of these three do you think 
provide or proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. You see, I'm thinking of this passage. I'm thinking of this myself. It's like, okay, I just confess to you. I do one thing really well and do one thing really poorly. Maybe there's a conviction going on right now in my own heart that I need to go knock on doors. <laughs> I'm not trying to challenge you to knock on doors. I'm just saying maybe God's challenging you to do that. Invite your neighbor. Touch. Get, get next to. Get, get close to them. Learn, learn who they are. You know, how do we actually, through relationship, is the way that we develop that relationship is then we have an open door to speak Jesus into somebody's life. You see, Jesus did this really well. He turned it back on them. And, and of course, they had hard hearts, and they didn't want to hear this, this story because these were Samaritans. Now, let's flip it around again. Let me, let me share with you what... Um, you know, something that I experienced as a person who grew up in a Christian family and maybe at times of my life, life have been really religious. How many have ever actually had an open vision before? Some of us haven't. I mean, they're not that common. Right? So I've heard this open vision you know, kind of a common one. I've heard of it before, and people actually, Holy Spirit kind of speaking to them. I'm not trying to get weird on you. I'm just, I'm just saying that I experienced this because the Holy Spirit was dealing with my heart. And so I'm like in the middle of day, I'm praying, I'm meditating, and I literally kind of have this like, I don't know, the best way I can describe it is kind of like a, a mini movie. I don't know what to say, how to describe it. But the Holy Spirit's really speaking to me about the fact that I have these internal challenges, uh, these prejudices kind of, if you want to use that word, or these, these fears of man or whatever they work out to be. I just, there's, the, there's always a group of people that I'm resistant to maybe that God is trying to talk to me about reaching out. So, so I'm, I'm praying and I literally see Jesus on the cross. And it, it was like just weird. I know it sounds weird. You're probably saying you need to see a doctor, Pastor Dan. So I see Jesus on the cross. And it was like these, fi just like these passionate, fiery eyes just gazing right through me. And I was fixated on this picture, this image of Jesus on the cross. And over to the left side of him was, was a group of people that, that, as I'm seeing this, had to be Pharisees. And they were dressed like Pharisees, and they were mocking, and they were spitting and cursing at Jesus. But I couldn't unlock my eyes on Jesus. I kept staring at him, and he looks, he gazes into me, and he says to me, Dan, I died for them. You see, there's two sides to this idea. You see, a good Samaritan who, who was loathed by those Jewish people, and the Jewish people, they hated the Samaritans. And this Samaritan actually was a person that in his heart didn't care about that, but cared about doing the right thing. Cared about 
honoring God, cared about that we're all God's creation, cared about what we are supposed to do with responsible hearts to Jesus, cared about calling upon their neighbor, right? And so there's kind of a a two sides to this. You see, in my situation, I was very challenged at that time of my life with religious people. I was actually challenged at that time of my life with my own people. You see, Jesus is trying to speak to these, these Pharisees, these lawyers in this way that he's trying to help them. He's not trying to beat them up in this case. He's trying to help them see the truth about themselves. You see, the truth about ourselves is at times in our lives, we just don't want to do the things or we we make excuses, we justify that, you know, I just don't have time. I don't know, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I know I'm supposed to say hi. I know I'm supposed to connect with people, and I know I'm supposed to, you know, do these things, but I just don't have time. So he puts it in the, the picture of this thing that, that we call the Good Samaritan. And we don't realize sometimes the history behind how significant or how unclean this person was perceived by the very kind of person, this person who was unclean, the Samaritan stopped to help. I shared this story, and I'll kind of close with this idea, and and then we'll pray. And I I, I shared this once before, I think. So I'm, I'm, I'm at a conference in Chicago in a big, you know, the big center there, I can't even remember the name of it, and I'm with a, another brother, another brother, a Christian fellow who's with me in, in the taxi as we're going to the conference, and there's, and this was over several days, and there's a, a gentleman on the corner with a sign. How many, how many of you have ever seen a gentleman on the corner with a sign before? <laughs> and so my Christian brother, as we see this, see this person on the corner, he yells out the window and he says, get a job, bum. You're thinking to yourself, that's a Christian, brother? Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. So days go on and, and again, we, this next day, he, he yells out the window, I, seen, I saw you standing there yesterday. Get a job. You know, sometimes inside of our hearts, what we're dealing with is we are dealing with this idea that I am saved, I am sanctified, I am pure, and I'm really kind of challenged with reaching out to somebody that doesn't think like me or act like me. You see, that's why I shared that open vision with you, because it could be the Samaritan and this uh, this Pharisee, or, you know, it, it could be that kind of a model, or the model could be flipped. The point of the story is that we need to be people of self-sacrifice and love what God has created and do as he's asking us to do, to reach out to our neighbors. I mean, it goes all the way back to this thing we, we call the Great Commission, go into all of the world, teach everyone, right? Make students, disciples, touch people for Christ, live, believe what we believe. In order to believe what we believe, that calls us to action. It calls us to do something with it.
You see, that's the beautiful picture of this, this story we call the Good Samaritan, is to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, if they're going to give you cookies before, the, before you give them cookies, maybe that's a little backwards, right? Maybe we need to actually, even this afternoon, reach out to our neighbor. I don't know. I'm just saying that this is, this is our call. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus trying to help us to understand that we need to be that very person, that good Samaritan. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the belief system is, no matter if they hate you, disdain you, our responsibility is to be Jesus to our neighbor. And there's, there's in my own life, there are areas of repentance. God is still working with me. How, how many of you know that we've all fallen short of the glory of God? We all are, are in need of a physician. And so the area that God really wants to work with us, I think, even this very moment, even today, that's what we do these small groups for. Hope, that's what we do them for. The hope is that we're not just meeting the club that we meet. This, by the way, I'm not trying to say that clubs are bad. Clubs can be good, they can have purpose. But our club, our purpose is to bring salt and light. Our purpose is to bring the lost, sick, the disenfranchised to Jesus. And when we don't see the value of these gatherings for that purpose, if they are no more than a Bible study, Bible study in the Bible is important, by the way. But if that's all that's become, because I feel comfortable with studying the Bible with this group of friends, this group of people, if that's all that's become, I think we're missing Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just bring his disciples together to study the Torah, did he? I mean, look at it. What did Jesus do with his disciples? Yeah, they, he spoke into their lives. Yeah, they discussed it. It wasn't just about the law. It was about relationship. And it's not to say that the law has no value, but it is to say that the relationship actually illustrates whether or not we really believe what the law was trying to help us understand. Do we believe what we believe? You see that underlying picture of the Good Samaritan, do I really believe? Do I really practice what I preach? Do I really believe? Is my, is my group, as I gather together with Christians, am I just coming to church and we, we want this, we need this? But it's what we do week to week, day to day, reaching out to the community around us. This is what impacts the world for Christ. This is what furthers the kingdom. This is what glorifies God. This is what makes him smile. How many of you want to make God smile? Yeah, 